magician. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Disloyal Idiots Podcast. We are here as always joining you, well, you guys can join us, whatever works, to talk about the world of Syracuse athletics. I am Steve Haller, with me as always Andy Pregler and Christian DeGuzman. How are we doing, guys? We realized that the reason why Jim Beheim hasn't made as many Final Fours as he's done over the past, I don't know, decade or so, is because he clearly doesn't have the same dance moves as Jim Laranega, so it's just, you gotta weigh that out. This is. I thought that was Larry David. No, that was Bernie Sanders, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Trick question. They're all the same person. They are. Uh, I you was cannot prove say. it. They have not been shown in the same room <laughs> at the same time. Oh God. Yeah. When Larry and I, I really, get Beheimer on the court at the same time, it's just like what? Are, what? What's going on? I mean, the, the it's like the, the first joke in the in like. The first running gag in last week tonight. The Olsen twins are just one person moving very fast in the same spot. <laughs> well, the your, your entire argument also now creates a universe where Jim Beheim knows what crypto is and is out here shilling crypto left and right. So, you know, it would <laughs> or also, was it NFTs? I forget which one it was. It also creates a, a, a world where Jim Beheim is carrying hundreds of dollars in cash on the court with him. And also Although that's 100 percent true. Also, when the Jim Beheim is in the Final Four right now, which he is not. Mm, yeah, the Final Four has been set up in a way that we are om- somehow the ACC having its weakest year in the longest period of time sends a team to the Final Four. Uh, and also UConn is winning the title uh, this year. This year is just the worst. The last two years have been like the same thing. Like ace- last year was also considered a weak ACC year. And yet Duke and Carolina made it to the Final Four. Oh, that that one also it gave us the beauty of Coach K having to eat it, uh, eat it uh, when UNC beat him not once but twice on his retirement tour. Oh, baby, that gave that made me that made me really excited. <laughs> not gonna lie. Uh, yeah, the Duke the Duke hatred is strong. Uh, <laughs> That's just the UConn hatred, which we'll get into a lot. Yeah, the seeing Andre Jackson do the celebrating really, really hit me in a way that I didn't expect it to hit. But there we are. Another former man. What if Syracuse had its recruiting shit in line and we were able to just get the best local talent? Huh? Weird. Weird. Yeah. Everybody yells at football that they need to recruit New York State better. And yet Jim Beheim didn't recruit New York State well for 10 years. And what are you talking about? They got Joe Girard. Ah, not anymore. They don't have Joe Gerard. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess new that is, I was just going to yeah. say that's the new house education right there. <laughs> yeah, the transfer portal news is coming hard. It's coming fast. It's coming all over the place. And we'll start with Joe Gerard. Phrasing. Joe Gerard did as I believe it was Steve who tweeted this out uh, from the disloyal idiots account. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Disloyal underscore idiots. Uh Joe Girard did what is known as the Syracuse, declared for the NBA draft, retained his college eligibility, and entered the transfer portal all in one move. Hell of a finisher combo right there. I guess it's really an opener rather than a finishing combo. Uh, But Girard has already received interest from several teams. According to Mike Waters, there's multiple visits being set up with Girard. It appears as if LSU Butler and one other school that I'm forgetting is the leader. Stanford, of the Adam, Adam Zagoria had Stanford also. And there was Stanford. There we go. Uh, they're all kind of leaders. Like they're the ones at least that are meeting with Girard first and foremost. Um, I think there's a lot of different topics to have here, but I guess, you know, Christian, what are your initial thoughts? What were your initial thoughts when you heard this? Because I think everybody here had initial thoughts, but I think we all might have had very different initial thoughts. <laughs> oh, that was your thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, literally, like, okay. Like, <laughs> and it's weird to say that about your leading score who dropped 16 points and shot over 35% from three. But yeah. at the same time, eh. I, yeah, I think, I think you're on your, you're spot on with it in that it's one of those where if he goes cool, if he stays 
cool. As long as, as long as what is being set up to be a decent backcourt at this point isn't, you know, uh, offset by him like being forced into a starting role. If we have better options, uh, I would welcome him back. I don't see that happening, but it's an option. That's, that's the, uh, what, uh, oh, the, the John Bolajak option. Declare, head out for a bit, come back, end up actually playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, I, it's hard to talk about this without talking about some other dominoes that, you know, are hypothetically looking to fall into place. Yeah. And I think for me, my first feeling was really watching certain media members fawn over, like fall over themselves to praise Joe Girard and what he did at Syracuse, I think really kind of signifies why a lot of people struggled with Girard at Syracuse. Um, I had like a long tweet thread about this that was just like, I remember when he came, was recruited and he came in. The big story was that dude from Albany picked Syracuse over Duke. And when that is the, you know, headline on your recruitment, there's going to be a level of expectations that you're never really going to be able to meet unless you're a special type of player that can put the team on your back in a way that Joe Girard just never did. I don't I don't think it was so much that. Yeah, yeah, that had some point of it. The you know he was being re- you know recruited by other schools, avoid Duke and Michigan, like uh, specifically. I think the bigger thing that kind of skewed uh, people's expectations of Gerard was the for that scoring record. Yeah, coming out of Glens Falls as well. Yeah, because uh, because he nostalgia is a killer killer drug. And anyone who remembers that BYU run with Fredette probably expected something similar from Gerard on a consistent basis, which and was just not feasible. Right. And, like, and that's kind of my point is that Gerard was never the guy. He was never going to be the player that Fredette was in the sense that he like the, the latter was a just I know everyone remembers the shooting, but he was a very good defender and had a physical imposing size that allowed him to do more than just shoot when he was on the court. And and that was never going to be Gerard's game. I think the other part of it that I think is very realistic with Gerard here is that he was basically the canary in the coal mine for the Bayheim exit. Here is a guy that you know, Jim seemed overly fond of, was being played out of position, did not thrive in the zone, and yet was continually forced into the zone, uh, was somebody who, in a system with no real offensive system, was just going to chuck it and make poor decisions that were only going to accentuate bad habits already formed. Like, pretty much every argument that you wanted to make against Jim Beheim and about why Beheim was not a bad coach, Joe Girard was, you know, example number one. And I do think that somebody had somebody pointed out to me um, that Girard is the um, least successful four-year starter in Syracuse history. Like, to be a four-year starter under Jim Beheim, like, it's a really hard thing to do. And if you include three-year starters, guys who pl- started for three years and then left to go to the NBA... Like the list gets bigger, but the names just get better. And you realize that the fact that Gerard was here and playing as many games as he did and starting as many games as he did was really out of necessity and not necessarily out of quality. And I think that that those two things are always going to be kind of conflicting when you think about Joe Gerard's time at Syracuse was he was very clearly good enough to play at the at the P5 level in college basketball. But was he good enough to be the starting point guard on a team that had sweet 16 goals every single season? I, I think that there's a nuanced conversation to have in there that may be in a very different team, but especially not the team that Syracuse has been trying to be uh, under Gerard's, you know, four years here. Well, here's... well, I think also the upsetting thing with that also is that in 
some in some Syracuse fans, yes, the expectation is Sweet 16. But I think for a lot of casual, just normal Syracuse fans, the expectation is make the NCAA tournament. And the and to not do that as one of the supposed leaders over the past two seasons is one of the damning things on his profile. Especially after last season when he was the de facto leader. And this is coming off of, I mean, you're within a decade of Brandon Trish graduating who was the most successful four-year uh, player in Syracuse history. So within a decade, the program has gone from that to where we're talking about with Gerard. And I don't, that's, that's not a, uh, that statement has nothing to do with Gerard. That is strictly to do with the state of where the program sat prior to this coaching change. And I think that if you were to look at and ask a lot of Syracuse play, uh, like fans, you know, Brandon Trish or Joe Girard, a lot of people would would say Joe Girard. But you look at what Trish did, you look at the numbers that Trish put up and and his career in totality. And I think Trish is kind of the perfect example of somebody who became what was needed uh, to enhance a very good team. And Girard, I don't think there's ever been any career development from Girard. Like he pretty much came in the same player that he was when he left with the exception of being a little bit better in the mid range than when he came in. Um, because that, that those early seasons, he was absolutely atrocious in the mid range. And he, by the end of, by the end of this year, he was at least serviceable in the mid range. The only thing he developed was a post move and that took three and a half years to do. Right. And like, it's, it's crazy that they're the, you know, the one NCAA tournament run that they had, uh, was, another bullshit sweet 16 run where they got absolutely destroyed by a more athletic team um once they finally ran into one uh, that i feel like that in itself is just kind of what syracuse has been and gerard again is kind of the poster boy for this version of syracuse that fans are really upset about and i think it's really hard for like like it or not when you are the starting point guard on the Syracuse basketball team, you're basically the face of the program unless, you know, a Carmelo Anthony uh, or a Derek Coleman is also on the roster. Like, I think most people, and Steve, you can kind of correct me uh, here, but at least when I've had conversations with Syracuse fans who have been a basketball fan longer than I have, they kind of define them by the point guards. Like, oh, that was the Scoop Jardine team. That was the Tyler Ennis team. That was the Pearl Washington team. That was the insert whoever you want in there. But for whatever, like for whatever reason, Syracuse's teams and their success or their lack thereof almost always somehow ends up back at the point guard position. So we only took 12 minutes to get to Steve is old. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that the eras are kind of defined like that outside of, uh, you know, outside of some outliers like for the most part yeah you can you can almost honestly kind of break this it down most like recent that. stretch yeah so because the, what have they actually been defined by the shooting guards tyus battle buddy Bayheim. yeah yeah it's basically trevor cooney in a sense as well right because we mean, had that revolving door of kadari yeah. and like that whole stretch of point yeah. guards that never point guarded um but you know you say the frank howard era and people understand where you're talking for better or for worse I mean, I always, I always thought more of Frank than most, but yeah, I don't know that that's, it's a weird way to think about Syracuse basketball because it definitely was for a while, but yeah, I don't know. Even, even the team that I came in on, which was the 2011, um, team, the one that lost to Ohio state in the elite eight, like, you know, that was still like the Scoop Jardine team. Like, I remember every conversation that I had with upperclassmen was about like, uh, what will what, you know, Scoop Jardine is going to define this team. There was a lot of like weird feelings about Scoop being involved on that team. Uh, yeah, but it's it, again, it, to me, it's just like one of these interesting things. And so Joe Girard becoming the starting point guard, I, I feel like w whether you like him as a player, whether you like him as a person or not, like he is kind of the face of the final years of Bayheim from the actual player standpoint. And obviously things did not end well. We always talk about how 
my freshman year, 2014, was a god-awful year to enter Syracuse fandom. Do you remember the 2014-15 starting point guard for Syracuse men's basketball? Um, Caleb Joseph. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that was the that was the that was the year where Rakeem Christmas was really just the only source of offense on that team. It was also Chris McCullough, but then he blew out his ACL right. against Florida State. Chris McCullough for yeah. a good two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nets, Brooklyn Nets legend Chris McCullough. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it, when you think back on yeah fourteen. That's a rough. That really we've talked about it before, but that really was rough for you, man. <laughs> the football team. And, and, and like, and like for oh, the, like for the, but like for lacrosse, that was that was a team that was supposed to win the entire thing, and then got destroyed in the Elite Eight by Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And then wasn't the year after, or was it the year before when they got bounced in the first round? Uh, it might have been the year before because that was was that the ACC, the crazy ACC title winner with Donahue at the last second, and then was it Bryant? Yeah. I think that might have been that because I remember I remember being like ignoring the first round of the NCAA lacrosse tournament while I was working an internship and just going like, oh, hey, I don't need to care about this game. And then getting the Twitter notification, Syracuse upset and going, oh, this is bad. Yeah, well, that's the opposite of me when I was I think I've talked about it before living out in Boston with Syracuse lacrosse, where I missed the chance to see the greatest game ever played between oh, Syracuse the Cornell, and Cornell one. In 08. Yeah, yep. I was living in Boston. I could have been at Foxborough. My buddy bailed on oh, me. No. And I watched it in my apartment. I was like, eh, okay, we'll probably win, whatever. Um, kind of had it on in the background, and then it became the greatest. Greatest lacrosse game yeah, ever played. Like, okay. So, yeah. I remember when I got my first ever beat writing assignment for Noons was to be the lacrosse beat writer. And I remember watching that game as a way to learn lacrosse. <laughs> he probably forgot really, everything, and then and, Christian had to reteach lo- it last year. And look where it got brought to you. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, that's why John Arsenego covers that now. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, it's great. We went from unqualified Newhouse kid to actual lacrosse fans, and I just sit here and talking to a microphone that I don't know how to hold how, close to how, my face. How, how stark was the difference going from Andy writing lax to Chris Jasensky, just Kremsky out, sorry, Chris Heller, Jazz, uh, pronounce your last name, and John Orsonego. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit different. It's, uh, it's a lot. Oh, man. Uh, speaking of bring us back to college basketball recruiting, uh, my friend Mark Lamaski, shout out to you, Mark, uh, just sent me a tweet from Heat Check College Basketball. Oh, God. The, the final four doesn't feature a single consensus top 30 recruit, but here are the highest rated prospects and the teams that they are on. Number 37, Donovan Klingon, UConn. Number 47, Samson Johnson, UConn. Number 48, Jordan Hawkins, UConn. Number 50, Andre Jackson, UConn. <laughs> Congratulations, San Diego State, FIU, and Miami. You're making your first Final Four. Now be prepared to get crushed. <laughs> I I know that we're going to have to have like a Hurley-level conversation, but that man revels in being the bad guy in a way that like the 80s Big East coaches would blush at. And I am really not going to enjoy Red versus uh, Hurley in the recruiting battles that are about to take place over the next few years. You could um, have two polar opposite figures. Yeah, love Red. And again, maybe we finally get to see more of his personality. But for most of what I have heard from from people around, Red is a genuinely nice guy. He's and like Beheim, he's a basketball lifer and a basketball nerd. It's just that he's more of what you would expect from a basketball lifer and a basketball nerd. Just kind of a lot, a lot less personality and a lot more just really into basketball. How much pre-workout does Dan Hurley take before any meeting or press conference? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, Andy, at the same time, we're going to read from James Arthur Beheim. 
who I'm not a doctor, but I can't imagine on the recruiting trail was a, you know, stalwart when it came to uh, personality. Well, it's not necessarily that he didn't have personality. It's just that the personality he had is not necessarily one that you think would connect well with 16 to 18 year olds. Fair. But not look, looking for the nearest Italian steakhouse is not the personality that 16 to 18 year olds really want from the basketball head coach. I, you know, Denny's is there too. <laughs> Denny, yeah. But um, did I, I just realized, were we ever in on Andre Jackson? I don't um, think so. He's from Amsterdam. No, this is what this is what I mean, though, is like we give every year somebody like, cough, cough, wait, daily no, orange. Time right? out. Uh, Amsterdam, New York, not Amsterdam, Netherlands, where Jesse Edwards is from. <laughs> Had to specify. Yes. Sorry. No, no, no. I also, also notice how the three people here didn't blink an eye when we said Amsterdam right. because we knew it was Amsterdam, New York right. and not Amsterdam, the Netherlands. It's like it's it's like if we were talking about Liverpool and right. we know it's the Liverpool that's 20 minutes away from campus mm-hmm. and not Liverpool. Not Merseyside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, that that was actually really great that it was literally like us just being like, no, no, we know that this is the borough. Right. This is the small town in, in, in upstate New York. Yeah, well, my, well, my brain me, went from there to. <laughs> yeah, my brain went from there to uh, straight to jesse and like what this roster could look like and all that and i'm like wait jesse edwards netherlands could you Shit. imagine could you imagine <laughs> Vili going if andre jackson went the cues to like going back to back from from amsterdam to netherlands number 14 jesse edward and from amsterdam new york <laughs> <laughs> oh that'd be great <laughs> but like uh, anyways going back to my original rant i was going off of the whole thing about how like we everybody looks at the somebody every year writes the football article. Hey, they need to recruit New York more to be successful, except there is no talent in New York to build a roster off of as a foundation. Meanwhile, the basketball team, which has a much higher profile, just ignores top 50, top 100 recruits that are literally in the backyard of the campus. Uh, and yet that argument never comes up. Andre Jackson's a great example. Or, Isaiah, it, uh, well, Isaiah Stewart. They, they, they were in on Isaiah Stewart. It's just that the person who was in on Isaiah Stewart went across the country. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I know that that one's a bit of a loaded one, but there's been a there's bunch been a of There's been a lot of Rochester talent. The, the big, been a lot the big of, one also is Thomas Bryant. That was yes, a big one. that was a big one. Yep. Yep. Like, well, they, I mean, were in on, they were in on Thomas Bryant. It just, just did not get him. Right. Right. It's, I don't think it's a situation where we're not in on these guys, but I do think that it is something to say where it's like, again, we talk about from a football – we have these football recruiting conversations that if you are a listener of this podcast for any period of time, you've heard us or you've heard our former uh, hosts, Dan and John, talk about this concept with with football recruiting where – like you really got to lock down your base and not locking down your base is an indictment on your program unless you don't have a base in the case of Syracuse football where New well, York is yeah. not really a base. To be fair, it looks like Syracuse basketball was locking down a base. That base just happens to be the DMV. Yes. And I, oh, do I think... thought you were going to say that base just happened to be the Fayetteville, New York uh, <laughs> metro area. <laughs> You cannot, uh, you cannot put Fayetteville and New York metro area in the same sentence. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> the lower east side of Fayetteville. Fayetteville. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've gone really off the rails here. Yep. Uh, this is yeah. off-season content at its best. Um, anyway, yeah, when, when, when lacrosse just cruises to wins all week and it's just all basketball news. Here we are. Yeah. I mean, well, it's just, to, to I kind of bring like it, I, to kind of bring it back to the conversation, like nothing was more damning on this topic than JJ starting picking uh, Notre Dame over, over Syracuse. And I get it. Starting spent two prep years in Indiana, not far away from the South Bend campus. That definitely had a, a part to play in it. But for a guy who grew up in Syracuse to not, and we say Syracuse well, grew up in Baldwinsville. It's basically the, that's your Syracuse metro area. Right. The, <laughs> like, but the difference, like, though, with that is, uh, you know, uh, I, I interrupted, but you're probably getting getting there. Uh, the indictment wasn't that he went to Notre Dame. 
it was that as soon as Jim retired, yeah, he's here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah. him going to Notre Dame was one thing, but when Red was hired, it was just like, oh, okay, I'll go back to Syracuse. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like immediate. Oh, it was within like three days or something stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, I just I, I'm gonna. I'm going to completely derail this conversation with one more thing that just threw me off. Who was no, the trans- we've, de- we've derailed it for the past 30 minutes. <laughs> I know. No, we when we were talking about Amsterdam, I was trying to remember the, the other Syracuse basketball player who was from one of those little hamlets between Albany and Westchester. Um, he was the really good scorer who transferred in. I Andrew don't remember. Where, no. John um, No, it's what was that? John Gillen. I don't know. No, not Gillen. He was like a he was like a uh, a wing. Um, Give me a time. I think frame. he was an era ballpark. It was it was recently, like since after I graduated, but before the before Gerard came in. Um, and I cannot remember his name. Um, was it the guy that I, was from USF that was here for like three days? No, he was from no, Pittsburgh. Oh. <laughs> no. I-D. <laughs> the guy who was the guy who was good like he, i think he played for two seasons for syracuse and was like the leading scorer was it it wasn't I, the name elijah moore is in my head not elijah like hughes there you elijah go he- yep yes elijah moore is the 24 commit <sighs> yes exactly where was target from? maybe i actually don't know this where was he from? i believe oh, elijah beacon. that's where it is he's from beacon. oh okay beacon. yes <laughs> see Again, like, notice how we all know where beacon is <laughs> This is this is why this is why he got stuck in my head. I'm like, we had a player from that area who was really good. But another one that we didn't get coming out of high school, another one that we had to wait for a transfer to come to us to get. Yep. I digress. Well, to be fair, anyway. Beacon, Beacon is closer to New York City than it is to Albany. It is. And I uh, it's very funny that I'm actually friends with somebody now who routinely she has a car here in Brooklyn and she routinely in the summer spends it up in Beacon. And you're, you're allowed is. to do that. Yeah, I was going to say there's you if you leave if you live deep enough in Brooklyn, it suddenly becomes a bit more hospitable to like traditional park, living park a car. <laughs> oh, even from like our uh, for work, I was down near like Atlantic and going from there to up near where you are it was like oh okay cool yeah there are houses here now yeah now what do those houses cost do not last uh no we Uh, looked it up it's impressive (laughs) (laughs) i like how you use the word impressive instead of something that had a negative connotation on it (laughs) oh yeah there are a lot of zeros (laughs) there's a lot of zeros for fixer-uppers that need to be completely renovated uh top to bottom just because the insides have rotted out. Yeah, uh, meanwhile, anyway, if you move to the HGTV show that's based in New York City, <laughs> right? If you move to that uh, that Greater Syracuse Metro area, though, you got great prices on housing here. Well, since Ex- I can't except near where Jim lives, <laughs> eh, no, even there, like Jim's house compared to <laughs> Jim's house would cost less than whatever that small place that in Brooklyn is, was. That is very true. Uh, I was going to say, if you're like me, though, and you're wasting your money renting in Brooklyn, you're never going to buy and you want to buy something quality that will last a long time. You should buy home field apparel. God, saw that coming from a mile away. Saw that coming from a mile away. Killing the segues today, folks. Home field apparel is your one stop shop for the quality vintage apparel of Syracuse of other things I've honestly really gotten into their basics like I bought so because I work in tech and I am a product manager uh, my wardrobe is like blank t-shirt and dark jeans and then I went to home field and I went hmm what if I just bought their t-shirts without the mascots which is kind of sad but it's the same comfy thing my work days are significantly better now just wearing those t-shirts it's like being wrapped in a warm hug every time I want to look at my zoom screen and tell somebody the fuck are you saying uh home field keeping me employed thank you very much connor <laughs> your shirts are fantastic that's uh, not where i expected too. that going bravo <laughs> uh you should go check them out they're doing a ton of things for march badness if you're a uconn fan they have a ton of uconn stuff um obviously most people listening here probably aren't uconn fans so go check out their syracuse things and remember good times like the 1996 final four uh, like auto, like feet of the goat, they have it all. 
thank you, Homefield, for no. continuing to be a proud sponsor of our wonderful, silly little podcast. Now, with respect to Homefield, we do have to not hate UConn completely, though, because they were, via internet bullying, the initial people that put logos on the Jaggers. And it now I'm is. rocking a pair of Syracuse Jaggers because of no escalators. No escalators does do some good work through cyberbullying. And those joggers, <laughs> Steve, are oh, it's it's weirdly warm here today. So I didn't wear the joggers uh, when I played soccer, but I did play soccer in those joggers once. I'm in a basement Best. because I don't live in Brooklyn, so it's cooler down here. <laughs> Uh, I miss basements. Uh, side off tangent. You say joggers and soccer. I can only think about the Aston Villa goalie that was in goal for Paul Scholes' a screamer back in like 2005. And he had he had joggers on. Yeah. Just, just the dumbest looking thing. Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> we, we we will have plenty of, of soccer tangents coming up here. Yeah. Um, just because that's always going to happen. Also, I don't get paid enough for the, to do this, but someone sh- someone should cut up all of Andy's segues in the home field ad reads and send it to Connor. Oh, man. See? Yeah, I don't get paid enough for that either. I'm the other guy, and I don't get paid <laughs> enough is, for that. This is your brand recognition. Connor, <laughs> <laughs> uh, give us more money. Connor, make more Syracuse. Make a Syracuse bomber jacket. Um, Please. Okay. Uh, Let's talk about the Syracuse basketball roster that is at this point almost assuredly not including Joe Girard. Um, Question mark, question mark, question mark. There are two other question marks that are currently outstanding. Uh, Jesse Edwards, who Mike Waters is reporting is, quote, 50-50 on coming back or not. Um, As an international from Amsterdam, he is not allowed to get NIL money in the same way that, say, a Judah Mintz, who is currently declaring for the NBA draft and is retaining his college eligibility, will be able to do. Um, There's no other names in the portal besides the aforementioned John Bolajak and Samir Torrance at the moment. It sounds like from the names that is are being thrown out that Syracuse are connected to, we're looking at a lot of guards at the moment, which makes sense with Samir leaving, with Gerard leaving. You got you got a bank on Mintz potentially going. Um, you we know, kind of glossed Jay- over that. Like Mintz declaring he was going to the NBA draft. Yeah, on yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna get to Mintz in a Mintz in a whole thing. Um, Wait, hold on. Was, How come during basketball season we don't talk basketball? <laughs> And now we're in the basketball offseason. All we can talk about is basketball. <laughs> Have you not followed our brand of this podcast for the past three years? Point. Point. Yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> I was going to – I was actually furiously, Christian, as I was looking at this, I was actually looking for the center. Because before we talk about the guards, uh, I was going to say the one thing that we – is like the center conversation is definitely getting – Interesting. So, yes, here it is. Uh, you actually posted it from Adam Zagoria. George Mason transfer big man Josh Duro has heard from Florida, Miami, Virginia, Providence, Syracuse, Notre Dame, and Cincinnati per source. Um, that uh, Paul, uh, Kevin, shout out Kevin for knowing all these things, uh, mentioned that uh, Oduro is a Paul the sixth alum. And that leads us to talk about the Jesse conversation. Um, Christian, again, as the person who found this, uh, I think that it makes a ton of sense that Syracuse is looking at other big men. Whether Jesse comes back or not, I'm not sure I am comfortable with any of the big men on the roster playing the same role that they played this past season, which was support Jesse when he gets into foul trouble. Um, And if Jesse doesn't come back, I do not trust any of them to do the role of play those minutes. And I would basically be arguing for Syracuse to play small ball for the entire season. You kind of led into my argument because I think only one person has done that this past season to show that he can support Jesse. His name is Malik Brown, and he is certainly not as tall as Jesse Edwards. So you would have to almost certainly go to small ball and play Brown at the five. Um, unless, and, I, and I don't think Kima is at that point yet to make the edwards christmas jump that we've seen he probably needs another year to make that jump which yeah. is what edwards and christmas needed yeah so now malik brown if we end up going in that direction uh 
and playing small ball, are we looking basically Mark Dolzhai 2.0? Yeah. I kind of said this uh, towards the be- and towards the middle of the year when he was starting to get more minutes. Like, he had a... He he was basic... He was playing like Dolzhai without the passing. And yeah. I know Dolzhai's passing was one of the things that made him really, really unique as well. Um, but his... Uh, if you... Again, because we are a pseudo soccer podcast as well. If you kind of think about like how strikers differentiate themselves based on how well they position themselves in the box, mm-hmm. that was the same thing that basically was that Brown was doing in the bottom, basically in the post. Okay, where he was just putting himself in the right spots and seemingly just knew where the ball was going to be in order to have the best opportunity to score. As dumb as and it if, sounds, he was Wondolowski. Yes, he was Chris Wondolowski. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is an awful comparison, but yeah. <laughs> like, an awful comparison, like, do I really want to compare someone to Chris Wondolowski? Hey, in MLS, he was a phenomenal striker and always in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah. Or Giassi Zard is, except he couldn't finish. Or still can't finish, but. <laughs> Sorry. Zard is yeah, always he... in the right spot. Just, you know, it might be his <laughs> head that. Uh, actually, have you seen this week's episode of Ted Lasso? Yes. Jesse Zard is, is the Danny Rojas goal. Oh, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, oh, the, the, okay, here's, which also, here's, here's my... Okay, I'll let you guys talk about Ted Lasso first, and then I'll go back to my Malik Brown comparison. I was mostly going to say that I think one of my favorite uh, points, uh, I'm not, without spoiling this week's edition, uh, newest episode of Ted Lasso, is that um, there is a certain player that is definitely referenced, but not obviously called out by name otherwise he would be suing ted lasso like crazy um one of my friends is one of the first google results when you search that said player from an interview that he did with said player um and it's just been very funny to me like wait who's this guy supposed to be they do the googling it's like oh here's my friend's photo of him because he's just (laughs) interviewing this guy Mm -hmm. um anyways it is uh it's a it's see i said we were gonna do a soccer tangent and it wasn't even what i intended to do (laughs) So, Stay tuned for more. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I'm going to continue it. Um, if if I this is a slight throwback, uh, if I had to compare Malik Brown to a soccer player, he's Dimitar Berbatov. Oh, because Bur- yep, I like that. Bur- without the cigarette with, smoking and stuff. Well, yeah, without the uh, without the uh, work weight problems, right? Um, <laughs> because he because Berba was very good at knowing where to be at the exact right time. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. so th- that that's uh that's Malik Brown. The the fox in the box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I honestly like I I don't hate the idea of Syracuse going and playing these players and playing small. I think that we've seen that there are certain situations where playing a traditional lineup doesn't necessarily work in today's college basketball. Now, rebounding definitely was an issue for Syracuse playing with Jesse Edwards in the middle, and I can only imagine that it would get worse without Jesse. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, we've talked about how much of that is up to the zone, and if Red doesn't play zone, does the team's overall rebounding improve? I'm not sure. These are big unknowns, but I do think that there is a potential here for the small ball lineup to be more beneficial than trying to force somebody who's not ready at the five to play significant minutes in a game just to round out the lineup. Well, the other thing that does similar to what you're talking about, if they're not playing zone, Munirhim is going to need a lot more work. Yeah. Like, I don't see him playing, you know, uh, away from the basket defense all that uh, readily at this level. Um, that said, I still, I, I'm still having trouble shifting my brain out of zone personnel because that's all we've known for, you know, even when we so weren't long. solely playing zone, we still recruited for the zone. So it was still a thing. Um, but What's yeah, Bill Rafter going to do now when he has to tell people what defense Syracuse is playing at the beginning of games. Uh, maybe that they used to play a zone with man-to-man principles. <laughs> <laughs> this is Syracuse, uh, who used to, who formerly played. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, another player who used to play in that zone is Judah Mintz. As Christian mentioned, this is now where we have the, the real big conversation about next year's roster. Um, Judah Mintz 
declared that he is entering the NBA draft process, but will retain his college eligibility. This means that he is not hiring an agent. It means that he will participate if invited into a select number of um, pre-draft workouts and combine activities, what what have you not. Uh, I think we all knew this was probably in the cards. It's just a matter of if what he's going to get back is going to convince him that coming back for a year will improve his stock dramatically from where it is now. And I think that what he'll hear is that his shooting needs to improve and that his defense needs to improve. Now, if we're not playing zone next year, the defensive concerns could definitively be alleviated by coming back for a year. Uh, The shooting, less sure about, but it does feel like Judah is in because of the coaching change. I personally feel there's a higher likelihood that he comes back if only because he will definitively get to work on the defense in game situations, as opposed to having to learn it on the fly in summer league or in the G league and getting exposed for a good six months. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is with the second round money, if because right now he's pretty much exclusively projected second round unless he's in the first round now with nil there's a chance that if he's not guaranteed or told he's going to be a first round pick that weitzman just backs the brinks truck up and if you're making more coming back to college than you would have on a two-way deal do you do that how jarring would it be to see a brinks truck in south campus (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that isn't going to the incomplete. (laughs) Yeah, that is. Oh, man, I missed the incomplete. Um. (laughs) The last time I was in that place, I literally ran into a Rinzai Onowaku. That's how long ago. Again, Steve is old. Wow. Wow. Love that, though. Like physically ran into him and uh, Dante. Yeah. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, cool. You're huge. He's a large human. Yeah, I'm not a small human. He made me look tiny. (laughs) A Rinze is to a just large human all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian, I think the the biggest question here is that if Mintz comes back, we are relatively po- we are relatively sure that he and JJ Starling are going to play really well together. Like they their games seem to complement each other. Now the bigger question. Be- okay, mm-hmm. great. The bigger question the, becomes the Venn diagram like, of those two is pretty circle circle yeah well so this is the this is the part that i think gets really interesting here there are i'm not we won't spread the rumors but there are rumors that syracuse might be going after somebody who would be an established point guard and push one of mince or starling to the bench and i don't think that that's a bad idea especially in the case of starling who really struggled at notre dame like i will not tell you how bad his defensive bpm metrics are because they make Joe Girard look like a competent defender. Um, there's there's that's there's some concerns there. Now, with the bigger, I think the bigger question is if Mintz isn't coming back and Girard isn't coming back, you got to hit that portal for some scoring, don't you? Because I do not see anybody on this roster in a position ready to handle not just the output but the defensive focus that would come as being the only guy on the roster who could potentially put the bu- bu- uh, ball in the basket. Here's the problem. I actually think that Chris Bell or Justin Taylor could handle the scoring output. I generally do believe that. The second point, though, the defensive, that's where it becomes tricky. And that's basically been the narrative of Syracuse for the past two and a half, three seasons. It's not something that we need to beat into the bush any much too much more. It's who steps up defensively. Because basically that's how Syracuse has won its games the past couple of years. It's been through offensive showdowns. And that's how the that's how they won their games last year. So I I 
Bell and Taylor have the offensive capabilities. It's can they develop enough defensively to support that and prove that they have minutes that they are minutes on the floor. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be the crux. I mean, depending on what comes into the guard room, either of them can shift over as well, like we've been talking about. That yeah, said, hell, if even someone comes into the forward room, yeah, yeah, because think about it, we have Syracuse has three guards right now who are playing forwards. That's Bell, Taylor, and Copeland. Mm-hmm. Copeland played point guard for a ton of his time at ING. But weirdly, looks the most comfortable at small forward, too. <laughs> Compared you, you, to any for of those, them? I was going to say, for those who are uh, listening, uh, you know, podcast or visual medium here. Um, the, it was everybody I, with I, a relatively confused face. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of shrugging for me and Andy. Yeah, like, well. There's... I think I think it's really obvious that this roster is massively incomplete at this point. And I think that what we're hearing, what we're seeing reported, what we're hearing rumored is that Red understands this and is attempting to do his best to transform a roster on the fly. And I'm intrigued to see what happens. I just worry and I think it's very valid that Syracuse could end up with much of the same where we got a bunch of guys that don't fit well together and next year is going to be a a big mess of trying to figure out how that works. But we'll see. There's definitely a lot of decisions and dominoes left to fall before we can even have a realistic conversation of what the roster looks like. But a team that has had a lot of roster changes that we just found out about was the Syracuse football team. Spring football practice has begun. Uh, and I let's start with the most obvious thing. The roster looks a lot different in ways that we didn't expect. Um, the roster did not include Jacoby and Morgan, who we saw play in that, that cursed season uh, where every quarterback in the room got to play a game, but it seems like Jacoby and Morgan is out uh, of the, of the roster. Def, uh, Neil Nunn and Rob Hanna are not on the roster. Anthony Red and Garth Barclay from the offensive line are no longer on the roster. It seems as if, and again, I'm, I'm putting seams there's some interest of Syracuse on hitting the portal to add depth in ways that I didn't necessarily think Dino was going to do, which makes me pleasantly surprised and hopeful that that wouldn't happen unless they were pretty confident that they're going to get some bodies in there. Um, Morgan is somebody who I think probably can have success somewhere in the Mac or at a smaller school. I liked what I saw from him when he played, but I like a lot more of what every other quarterback in the room has. Um, and Neil Nunn and Rob Hanart guys that played really hard and really well. But, man, they were so small. <laughs> this so is small. where we're going to have Steve talk about the offensive line for the rest of this podcast. Because <laughs> from what we were shown in spring training, I said spring training. I'm in a baseball yeah. Um What gave it away? Says the man in the Yankee shirt. Uh, <laughs> side, side note, this is the this was my last Yankee shirt, which was the last time I impulse bought a Yankee jersey for a hot prospect. Um, and that was Greg Bird. And so I will be doing that again for Anthony Volpe. And I hope that doesn't follow the same track <laughs> of a good first year and then just nothing. Yeah, about Bird that. was not the word. I was so sad when he didn't turn out to have a consistent career. But what we getting back to Syracuse talk, um, what we saw from spring practice is that the offensive line is, yeah. Well, two fifths of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, one other uh, prior to going into line talk and getting derailed, uh, one other stupidity that I saw from the, the roster there are eight tight ends on the roster. Eight. <laughs> The number after seven before nine. What is the 
let let's let's set a generous over under at fifty point five. What is the number of receptions that a tight end receives this year? And that does, not inc- no, that does not include over on day He no, he is one of those listed at tight end. No, oh my as God. is Stephen Mahar, as is Dan Valari. So yeah. Dan Valari's listed at tight end. Congratulations, yes. Dan. Also converted um, defensive lineman Pat Alberga. Um <laughs> Josh Kubala, Max Mang, David Clement, and Carter Clark. See, on the one hand, I think Syracuse might be zigging where others are zagging, and they're trying to do the Philadelphia Eagles thing of you all want to spread out and you got lighter and faster. We're just going to shove a bunch of big guys and run it up the A or B gaps and uh, make you deal with that. Don't hate it. Don't hate that concept. The other thing is that Dino but Babers also, is now. But also Syracuse doesn't have Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle. I was going to say the more likely scenario is that Dino Babers thinks he's playing four dimensional chess by uh, convincing teams that by looking at his roster that he's trying to get teams to play for like tight end based sets. When in reality, all these guys are basically just really big slot receivers. Yep. All right. Juszczyk and. George Kittle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So, anyways, that's my uh, that's those are my two thoughts on there. Steve, Steve, go back to to talking about why this roster makes zero sense and why I'm already like both frustrated and yet weirdly intrigued. I'm frustrated at the amount of volume leveling I'm going to have to do in this post. Uh, however, <laughs> the the roster is constructed consists of 10 offensive linemen uh some of which have seen time some of which have not one was a fullback last year including uh some of the footage we had seen of west ho getting reps at right guard and it didn't look great um so yeah uh i i believe some of the footage that mike ostrowski got us from practice showed ho and mark petrie working at the right garden tackle um it did i don't have words um it wasn't optimal let's put it that way uh i it, it was tough to discern who that starting right side will be i will assume eventually it will be chris bleich however he was a scratch in the footage that we saw so um yeah, that's the who he's going to work with. I don't know at tackle. Um, we saw some of Joe Moore, the Richmond transfer. He looked okay. Um, and this is against the defensive line that is not particularly supposed to be one of our strengths. So I'm curious how this is going to look. Aloha didn't look horrible at center. Uh, the right side with Ellis and Enrique Cruz looked fine. It was mostly the open door that was the right side of the line that was that, that stood out to me as an issue looking through the the footage that we saw. I don't know if you saw anything else from those, Christian. No, it's it's just we're back to the same problem of revolving door right at offensive line, which meet the new bus, same as the old bus. Yeah, it's like. It's it's so sad because like for the first time like Syracuse for the first time in quite a while Syracuse is going into expect into like expectations at skill positions, mm-hmm. which is like it was probably the first time since the twenty eighteen nineteen season, yeah uh, that that's happened, and that didn't work out well either. Because and, and what was the main reason? Um, the revolving door at offensive yeah, line. Yeah, weird. Funny how that yeah. happens. So, yeah, um, we do have the returning, you know, uh, a good chunk of the returning linebacking core. Everyone that was expected to return uh, with Wax, Thompson, Sparrow, Mason, McDonald, Lowry, Sagano, Dolan, Austin Rune, and Caden Bailey, who yeah. I'd assume we're going to see more reps from this year after his very solid showing in the uh, bowl game. That, once again, is going to be the strength of the defense. Yeah. The linebackers are going to be incredible with okachuku back that d-line does look better than it could have uh as far as depth wise so that's that's definitely yeah. a help it'll, it'll depend if uh, hopefully hawk has 
you know, stays healthy. Right. And if Nolten, and if Nolten makes a jump, uh, gears up to two thirty three. Huckes is at two forty. Lockett's at two seventy. Uh, Jobity's up to two forty seven. Nolten's at two fifty two. So they're starting to put on some weight, which is nice. Um, still not where we'd want them, but better than when they came in. Which yeah, I when, guess is all we can. When one lo- one locket is your nose tackle at two seventy, right? We're going to be seeing those weight discrepancy graphics on ESPN again. Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin Darton's two sixty six, but he's also five eleven. So um, at least he's got the bowling ball yeah. factor. Like he's dense, so he will be tough to move. As someone who's played against those guys, he will be tough to dig out. But uh, yeah, it's not great. We literally do not have anyone on the defensive line over the three bills mark or over the 280 mark for that. But nope, Braylon Ingram. Oh, is, Braylon Ingram is 297. Pretty sure he's our nose. Have we <laughs> forgot about him because forgot about him because for some reason the transfers are not being made available during uh, media sessions. Oh, yeah. None of the new guys are right. Yeah. Yeah. About that. That'd be nice. That's a, that's a shame. Yeah, because at DB, you've got Jaden Gould and uh, what's his face? The other guy that came in. Uh, Bellamy, Jaden Bellamy. Bellamy, yep, Jaden Bellamy. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would have been nice to talk to. Alas, now we have a dog on the pod. Um, Yeah, my dog just wanted to come say hi. Uh, And now she's jumping up and going to go sleep on the pillows behind me. Uh, she likes the orange and blue ones. Who knew? I trained her well. Good job. <laughs> Good work. Um, yeah. And you read, Andy read How to Grow an Orange, written by Sean Keeler. <laughs> okay. Available now on Amazon. Uh, I did. That was, actually the first ever, that was actually the first ever Syracuse book I read. <laughs> so just wanted to. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm. I, the the one thing I keep thinking of, and Steve will remember this because I I think we talked about this, you know, in the pre-Christian days of the pod, when the SU decided to do that series of interviews with the coordinators, um, and is Starling Starling Gilbert, uh, former offensive coordinator, basically said during that interview that. Spring ball was less about defining starters and more about figuring out where certain players could find a role that they didn't have a role previously or figuring out which players were willing to compete in the ways that the team and the coaching staff wanted them to compete. So when I see things like this weirdness on the offensive line or the the eight to ten ten tight ends that they've got in the room like. To me, it's definitely worrisome because it means that the the staff is not happy with what they have there currently. But it also does kind of open me to this idea of like, okay, maybe what we're seeing is not the long term plan. This is just a temporary. We get a window to as a a great Internet meme goes like you got to fuck around to find out Uh, and that is what they are attempting to do. Does it inspire me with confidence? Absolutely not. But I do think this is part of the process and part of the reality of being at a school like Syracuse. Look at you almost sounding like you were in spring camp. The uh, you're, you're right. It's, and it's like what, it's like what they tell you about college where it's not what you learn. It's learning to learn. And spring ball is kind of like that, where you're teaching the young kids. You're getting people more up to speed. Yes, you're hitting the weight room more. You're getting more scheme installed. You're doing all sorts of stuff. But the bulk is you seeing what everyone has to offer, not necessarily putting them in order, but knowing what you need to work on between now and the season. Um, We will learn more when neither of you guys but mike myself dom and kevin will all be up at the uh, spring game so we'll have plenty of eyes on the actual action uh i can't remember if they're televising this or not because it's syracuse and who the hell knows because well it's done well, i think i think in the i think there is somewhere in the acc network like like tv contract that is all spring games are televised Ooh, so you guys did I, get to see I, it. I i think nice so that'll help because it was because it was televised last year. Okay, 
if it was up to Dino, it probably wouldn't be. But yep. So, but yeah, we'll learn more about what the depth chart looks like and how how these guys are performing at game speed during that. Um, but this is still, you know, you're still fleshing stuff out. But I I am still worried as Christian is about what the hell happened in that footage we saw the line. It's not it's not what you want to quote a great Yankees manager. It's just not what you want. Um, the one thing I would want is us to, uh, in March or May, is it May when the portal opens again? It's gonna I've... be May. Yeah. Oh, wow. Bravo. Um, <laughs> the, the, it was good enough. It forced a plosive into the speaker. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, when, when the portal opens to be able to adopt, adapt what our, you know, what we're looking for into, who's available and see if we can bring home a couple of couple of new bodies that fit some of the needs because some people will leave after the spring game or after spring ball too so what we see on this roster will not be the roster construction after may uh hopefully we'll see more in than out but who knows and unlike in previous years there there haven't been and i don't think maybe less than there's maybe been less than three early high school enrollees this year as well. Whereas in previous yeah. seasons, there's been quite a few, at least eight or something like that. I'm kind of making these numbers up off the top of my head, but it feels like that there are a lot less high school enrollees. So, yeah, we did yes. get a lot of the transfers in, except yeah. for the two other offensive line transfers, I think. Maybe one other. Maybe I I completely forget, but but like you don't have a lot of those guys who are, you know, coming to campus early to get that like spring ball advantage that uh, that Dino loves to talk about. So, yeah, so it was Clement that we mentioned at tight end, Ike Daniels at running back, uh, Muafak Parkman at running back, uh, Jaleel Smith at D line, David Omaparoila. At D line, and then the transfers. So Joe so, Moore, Jaden Bellamy, so Jaden Gold, Brady Young, or five, which which is more than which is more than three, but like still not yeah. as many as we've seen from earlier years. Of the twenty that yeah. signed, I mean, mm-hmm. it was those five plus one, two, three, four, five, uh, five transfers as well. But you know, you'd like to see more of the more of the kids getting into. Yeah, as not as high. Pr- even though this class wasn't that high profile, you still want them on campus. Mm-hmm. No matter or no matter what, that's better than not having them on campus. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <sighs> uh well, as we are somehow yet again uh, almost at the uh, mark of completing another podcast, uh, I feel remiss to not mention that the women's lacrosse program is the number one lacrosse team in the nation. <laughs> um. They and that's lacrosse this week. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I saw the Louisville score line and uh, saw that it was, oh, my, in, like, the first half. So good for you guys. Just just keep kicking ass. <laughs> just just keep kicking ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you get that and you get the Cross Simmons Trophy retaining or remaining in Syracuse, and uh, that's our week in lacrosse. Yeah, sweet, neat, good things happening. We'll talk more about it next week, I'm sure. <laughs> Before we run away from that, Christian, is there anything we actually need to talk about for lacrosse? Joyce Valina's really good at shooting behind the back. Oh, that was beautiful. That was a thing of utter beauty. <laughs> yeah. He did it twice. Oh, I only saw that. He knew the... that having top recruits was a good thing. Right. It comes in Remember, handy, apparently. He, he did it twice. So. I and they were both one. identical to his Maryland goals. Okay. I was going to say, I didn't know if he tried something new. It was just, he's really good at doing the same thing. He's, he's really good at doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's got to be so hard to defend. That's why he should dodge more. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, as we uh, as we get closer towards, um, the well, I guess maybe even, maybe we should schedule it up for before the uh, the start of the stupid stretch for both teams. Uh, getting John on here to do a uh, do a quick lacrosse segment too. That'd be good. Yeah, probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. 
I'd be interested to see if actually John agrees with me that Spoina should dodge more. John, if you're listening, reach out to Christian. You're in the same Slack channel. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that is accurate. Gentlemen, we are at the end of our show. Uh, I think this went relatively well as usual. Thank you to everybody who joined us on uh, Disloyal Idiots, a fans first nation podcast. We really appreciate the support. Make sure you like and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Yes, Steve. Oh, no, I was just like, oh, I forgot to mention that. Yes. Yeah. Fans first network, our new our newest thing. Uh, they are. What was I going to say? I had one more thing about that. Oh, yes. Make sure you like and subscribe, you know, help us trick the uh, algorithm into spreading the uh, Ottoman Empire across the Internet. Uh, again, if you're watching this on News Magician, thank you so much. We really do appreciate the support over there and our continued support with uh, the News Magician crew. And uh, we want to make sure that you have uh, liked and subscribed just because, uh, as we kind of noticed on the Spotify uh, podcast or Spotify portion of this, all of our names and stuff have switched over. This is where you need to go for all of our great content moving forward. So. Uh, definitely just keep hitting us up. The fans first uh, net network is going to be doing a lot of cool things. We're really excited to be part uh, partnered with them. And I think it's going to be a great time. Uh, so for Steve, for Christian, for myself, for my dog, go orange. Go orange. Go orange. <laughs>